Well, hello everyone and welcome to another enthralling episode of Wednesday Night Live. I am praying that you are blessed today. And as I was uh, spending some time in prayer and contemplation in the youth room here at the Father's Church, where we had many of uh, the sessions from our most recent seminar, and then coming into the sanctuary this morning, there's a great and rousing prayer time going on in there, and it, it just makes us happy, but we are remembering how much you mean to us and how very much we miss not having you here. We had a great time last week in the Lord. And once again, I want to thank all of you who were here, made the, the journey here, and those who joined with us online. Um, I cannot express how, how grateful I am that in God's wisdom, he compiled this saints network. You know, we're not a denomination. We are a collective I am not your pastor. I am the pastor here in Dallas. But we, we try to follow what the Lord is saying and the various responsibilities we have in broadcasting messages and in heading up teams or directing teams that go around the world. Um, I think sometimes that can be a bit confusing um, but we really, truly want to just empower people to stand strong where they are. And hopefully that includes you. We value the various ministerial offices that are aligned with us. But um, I think in some ways uh, the enemy would like to tell you that you can't stand or you... You need a concierge, pneumata advisor. Um, we're here as uh, brothers and sisters to stand alongside you. And that's what each of you do as well uh, in helping one another. But um, this network is unlike anything that, um, that I've seen. You know, people are used to joining an organization and then you know, you sign up and then you get all these perks. Our perk is to follow Christ and to stand with you as you follow Christ. And if in that measure we, uh, we can be a strength for one another, fine. But um, sometimes that can get a bit confusing. And sometimes people get tired of that. You know, they, they, they want somebody else to to enthrall them and to, to inspire them. And they start looking for other sources. For me, I think, how can you get any better than what God has given us? How can you say that something tops or could possibly even remotely supersede being a son at the right hand of the Father, interceding, receiving direct words from the throne and gaining deep insights into the word. How, how, could that, how could you be better than that? How could you find more than that? You know, the only more that you can find from that is some work of the flesh or some work of the demonic. You realize that? You can't go beyond this precious thing that God has given us. And so we have to guard over that calling with great appreciation. And we must never pine for something else. That's what doomed Israel in the Old Testament and has subsequently corrupted and doomed so many uh, groups of people or individuals who God was once working with. They took their eyes off of him, and they sunk, and then they blamed him, and they blamed the people, other people in the boat, or, you know, there's always, the, from Adam on, there's always a blame game, but God is all, 
He is the I am. And you can't, you can't get better than that. So um, last week, we, we began our seminar, which was entitled Atonement, exploring what it meant for that first holiday in the Jewish calendar, the, the time of new beginning for a new year. I'm not going to reteach that. But as part of what we discussed together, we looked at some further meaning which is represented in the Ark of the Covenant. And we, we discussed together the meaning of what is translated as mercy seat. And we looked at how that was a derivative off of what Yom Kippur or Kippurim is and how ultimately that is a partnership with the palm of the hand of God. That covering, that ark, represents kindred relationship, partnership with the people, the covering of God's hand as he directs us to go forward, the partnership with that. And um, that's something that is, is a relatively new concept for us in all the other things that we've discussed about the magnificence of what that ark represents. Uh, we, are, we are walking as an ark today. We as believers, as saints, we are temples of the Holy Ghost. We are tabernacles, the Bible says, both of them descriptives from the Word of God. And within that framework, that deposit of the Spirit of God, which is born again only through Christ, is a representative of all that that ark entailed and so much more because the ark was a rudimentary explanation of partnership with God. Grace and truth came when Jesus came. So we have all that that ark represented and everything else which is glorious. And so I thought as I prayed about what we should share today. And I do, I do want to express to my congregation who are part of the group that comes here every week that this coming Sunday morning we're going to give you an opportunity to briefly and concisely give a word of thanks for what this past gathering meant to you in the Lord, what you saw God do during the seminar. This is not a time to begin back in 1970 or dreams you had four years ago. This is not storytelling with Uncle Mitch. Um, you know, one time I used to have to tell, we had some very, uh, um, very talkative people, very, <laughs> very, uh, uh, oh, I won't say anything more, talkative people. And I'd say, okay, we're going to give testimony time, but now this is, you got to say this. And lo and behold, I knew there were two people. They're not here anymore. They're, they're boring somebody else. But they would get up and they would start back in the 60s or back in the 70s, and I'd think, ain't nobody got time for that. And I must wish that I had the gong show. Remember that? You could bang this bell and hook the person and drag them out. Our objective this coming Sunday morning at the beginning of the service is to give thanks to the Lord for what he did during the seminar. So I'll send an email, not as colorful and as, as expressive as this announcement, but that'll be coming on Sunday. And um, But today I felt that the Lord was directing us to a... Um, a rather unusual study pertaining to the Ark of the Covenant. And all that we just said and what we taught about last week should be at the ready for you to rely on. And it has to do in 2 Samuel, we're particularly going to be reading 2 Samuel 6, verses 6 through 8. But I want to give you a bit of a backdrop of what sets the stage for this, okay? So just hang on. All of this is there in 2 Samuel 
But just know that we're going to read in just a few minutes, chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. You remember the story when Eli was the high priest and he had two corrupt sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and um, Samuel was just a young child serving there in Shiloh. Um, and uh, Hophni and Phinehas had the bright idea of just going in surreptitiously and taking the ark out, parading it against the Philistines. And remember what happened to them. Remember Eli heard that the ark had been captured by the Philistines. He fell off the bench he was sitting on, broke his neck. His grandson had just been just then been born, one of the wives, a wife of the deceased son, and she named that child Ichabod, for the glory has departed. You remember that. And then the Philistines had the ark, and uh, their demonic idol, dare I say, a fallen Elohim, for some of you who want me to say that, kept falling down and bowing before the ark. And all these Philistines started to get um, physical problems of a very intimate type. And they said, we got to get this ark out of here. So they made these little mice and some little emeralds made of gold, put them on the transport and sent the ark out. And it ends up at this city um, uh, that was in Israel. And things didn't go very well there. The, the people of that, <laughs> of that place were, um, they really weren't that good. They, how would I say it? They obviously had not paid any attention at all to their history as Jewish people. Um, these, these were men of Beth Shemesh, or Beth Shemesh, Maybe the emphasis should be on shame. And some of those yahoos opened up the ark. They took the covering of the hand of God off and looked in. God wasn't really happy with that. And he, he smote over 50,000. I think it was 50,610 men. Killed them. And so the residue of Beth Shemesh said, we're going to get this ark transported into uh, Kerjath-Jerim. And they send it there. And um, this is another place in, in Israel. And so they elect that they're going to send this ark for safekeeping to the home of a man named Abinadab. Stick with me now. This is all going to come up to something that we always focus on, but we don't think about <laughs> what the backstory is. And so Abinadab takes the ark into his house and appoints his eldest son named Eliezer to guard over the ark. Now, I think it was, first of all, don't be peeking in there. Let's revere this, this piece of divine furniture. And it was there hold on now, for 20 years, guarded over by Eliezer. Now, Abinadab had three sons. Eliezer, the, the aforementioned, and two younger sons named Uzzah and Ahio. So for 20 years, this family has the ark. We like to focus on a guy named Obed-Edom, how glorious he is. He took it in after uh, David's ill-fated attempt to bring the ark into Jerusalem. But it was only at Obed-Edom's house for three months. Three months. Okay, you do the math. Who should we talk about more, Obed-Edom 
or Abinadab. Abinadab had it for 20 years. Eliezer is kind of a an overlooked servant. 20 years of blessing. That would be like 2002, the ark comes to your house. And since then, you've been guarding over it. That's pretty substantial. So, in the meantime, over those 20 years, Saul is rises to kingship. He does what he does. David arises. All of that story happens. Finally, Saul is dead. David is made king at Hebron. He reigns there for seven and a half years. The Philistines hear that David's made king. And um, you remember the story, you know, David has a couple of battles with them. The famous uh, stirring in the mulberry trees hits. You know, the, the, the king of Tyre, Hiram, he's congratulating David. They're sending, you know, the, the, the wood, wood from, um, from Lebanon. And um, it's just a glorious time. It's also the time that David comes to Jerusalem and the Jebusites are there. We talked about this a few weeks ago. He defeats them and he takes Jerusalem and immediately, this is just in the Bible. This isn't me. This is just in the Bible. As soon as David gets to Jerusalem, he starts taking wives and concubines from Jerusalem. That was his prize, I guess. And many sons are being born. Then David gets the bright idea. You know, we need to bring the ark up. I think I told that story pretty clearly and well. But for all these 20 years, that ark has been in the house of Abinadab. It's been blessed. So David, the Bible doesn't say that David goes into his tabernacle and plays the sackbut and God says, David, bring mine ark into this holy place. Doesn't say any of that. David just thinks it's time to bring it up. So he gets his committee together. They build a cart. As Jack Hayford said, with boards and big wheels, and that always kills the anointing. They go down there to Abinadab's house, and you notice that the guy who's been guarding it for 20 years is not mentioned at all. I wonder why that is. I don't think he keeled over. The house of Abinadab was blessed. If Obed-Edom was blessed for three months... How much more would Eliezer and the house of Abinadab be blessed after 20 years? But Eliezer is not in the picture, not in the picture at all. We don't hear him mentioned here in 2 Samuel 6. But the little brothers, Uzzah and Ahio, Uzzah meaning strength and Ohio meaning brotherly. I think he had a nickname. They called him Cincinnati when he was out playing. But um, that's a joke. Don't be, where, Pastor, where did you find that? Stick with me here. Um, these two boys are more than happy to finally get their turn at bat. Maybe they thought, you know, as long as we're here under Eliezer, we're being hold, held back. We need to break free from his eldership. We can find something on our own. So they go out with this cart and big wheels. And um, they come with, um, let's, let's look here. They have uh, the Ark of God. They have, they get it out of the house of Abinadab. David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments. There were like 30,000 of this group. Another passage says, that's a lot of people. That was more than Black Friday waiting outside of Walmart. Um, there they are. And verse 6, now we're coming to the reading. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, I don't know whether he had a big... Neon light. Thresh it here. 
thresh it here. Nacons, Nacons. I don't know what it was, but this was Nacons' threshing floor. Uzzah put forth his hand, his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. For the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. David was displeased because the Lord had made had made a breach. We're going to talk about that against upon Uzzah. And so he called the name of the place Peruz Uzzah to that day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? Which is the question he should have asked at the very beginning. This is a very interesting tale. Now, some, some of you more progressive-oriented people might say, How could a loving God put hemorrhoids in those dear Philistines? After all, God loved them, didn't he? He created them. And how could a loving God kill 50,610 people for just taking a gander inside the ark. Oh, what a terrible thing. Every one of those people knew what the rules were. So, if you know the rules, and it comes to God, and you break the rules, you better be ready for what you need to do to repent. I'm just saying... Uh, because the bill always comes due. If it's not under the blood of Jesus, uh, you, you, you're going to answer before God. Shame or no shame. So that being aside, they, they come to this threshing floor. Uzzah is dead. David is displeased and afraid. And they here it is in verse 10. So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him of the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. He went to the Gittin place. Now, Gittite just means that he was from Gath. Where have we heard that story? Goliath was from Gath. David fled there for refuge twice. Um... Obed-Edom means to be a servant of Edom. The Edomites had a kingdom south of, of, uh, of Judah. And Edom means red, and it's another name for Esau. In fact, if you look into your Bible, you'll see that Esau was also called Edom because he, I guess was a ruddy man. He was a red man. Oh, how red man. Um, he, he, um, and in fact, the funny thing about that story is that the pottage that his brother Jacob sold him for the birthright, if you look at it, it was just red soup. It was red, which I think might have some significance. Might have looked a little bit like our Texas chili. Um, but I don't know. So Obed-Edom was obviously somebody from Gath who made his claim to fame serving the people of Edom. Now I don't know what he did. He was living in uh, he was living in Israel, obviously, but. Um, I think that's interesting. There's probably some extrapolations off this that here, here's a guy that's serving Esau's kindred is now watching over the Ark of the Covenant. It's almost like there's a picture there of um, God really saying, what's your birthright? Is it to partner with me or is it to be like all the other people of the, of the, the, the heathen? So it goes to Obed-Edom. David's saying, how can I go bring the ark in? He wises up, 
three months elapse, which one day having the ark under your care would be wonderful. Three months is glorious. But we really, we really focus on this episode. And it, it's, a, it's a horrible episode. But I think maybe we should give a little more credence to Abinadab and Eliezer. So let's get back to Uzzah. I don't know whether they became so familiar with the ark that they they thought that they were caring for it. You know, they didn't have the Holy of Holies there. The presence of God was there. I don't know how they watched over it. I don't know whether they locked it up. I, I don't know what they did. The Bible doesn't say. But if you've got something there for 20 years, you probably have some measure of respect. I think Abinadab and Eliezer remembered the story of what happened to the last two, the last three people that, the last three people groups that mishandled the ark and they didn't want to have any part of it. But it's so often the case that the people who have the experience with God, the next generation, kind of gets loosey-goosey with it. And that's a that's an error. It's, it could be a it can be a devastating error if you're not careful because it was well prescribed what, what God required of this ark. So David comes down with all of his, uh, um, like the veritable music man, 76 trombones in the big parade, 110 sack butts take the lead. You know, he had all these instruments. I mean, it was was great, you know. CNN would have been there with their cameras, probably. Look at this massive song. You know, we think people were lining the streets for Queen Elizabeth's memorial through London, and it was impressive to see. This picture in that age was amazing. But I think that a question which we don't have an answer to, why was Eliezer not overseeing this thing? I think God would have been more gracious in response, but the two young bucks, they decided, we can handle it. There was familiarity, and you cannot become familiar with the glory of God. Now, I think there's significance as well in the fact that God didn't strike that cart with a lightning bolt and burn it up. He didn't kill everybody that was in the parade. This cart went for a little while until Uzzah stretched out his hand and put his hand on the ark to steady it. Now, what's the significance of that? Mind you, if it was just about the thing being, the ark being on the cart, they'd, they'd been a while on this journey and God didn't God didn't whack them but when we remember what we saw how that the ark is an embodiment with that covering of the hand of God once man's hand touched that it was all over I don't know how they got it up on this cart maybe they used the staves that, you know, with the ring holders and put it up there. Maybe they did. They probably knew that much. But when somebody laid his hand on this divine implement that is covered by something that is called, after the etymology of the palm of the hand of God, it was all over. I think we need to see that. And God smote Uzzah. Now, it says something else here that we need to look at. And it, it, it makes more sense now when you think about what has just been said. When the hand of God covers you, like with Moses, you are in the place that he has appointed you to serve. You are in the place, your, your personal cliff, 
your personal gap, your personal Peretz. Bear that in mind, because that helps to explain why this says what it says. You know, when God smote the men of Beth Shemesh, 50,000 plus, it doesn't say he parotzed against them. It doesn't. It doesn't say God parotzed against Eli or his two corrupted sons. But here, in conjunction with the hand, it says it. So what exactly does it say? Because the Lord made, made is parats, a breach, parets. Here you have parats, parets. And the name of the place was Peretz Uzzah. What's that mean? Well, we know Peretz is the gap. We know when you're faithful in the gap, you have breakthrough, Peretz. This indicates that God and Uzzah had a Peretz match. It doesn't say Peretz Uzzah. It says Peretz Uzzah, which means that when Uzzah stuck the palm of his hand to take hold of that ark, no matter how well-intentioned he might be, the error of this thing happened long before. But when he did that, the very palm of God, this was a divine Peretz, that ark. It's God standing in the gap with you, wherever it is. And when it's time for that ark to go forward to take dominion, that's a parats. That's the pattern of what this ark was. So when Uzzah stretched forth his hand, that was, in effect, countermanding what that ark represented with the hand of God, that covering in the cleft or in the gap. And that was violated. Uzzah and God in a Peretz match. And you know who won that one. So, um, and because of that then, God's Peretz came out. Look at it again. Verse 8. David was displeased because Yahweh had Peretz from the Peretz upon Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Peretz Uzzah to that day. Does that make sense? This ark was God representing how the covering of his hand and the direction of partnership was to be with the people of God. That's why no hands were supposed to touch it. Because God's hand was not only preeminent, but total. And poor Uzzah, who was, who'd grown up with this ark in his house, he was familiar with it, and he didn't, his brother had always guarded over it, and he thought, okay, I said I could watch over this, and when he saw this happening, he did what so many would probably do in innocence. But innocence is no defense for breaking the law of God. Innocence is no defense for not knowing how to handle what God had prescribed for that ark. And his hand was touching the place where God's hand was covering. I mean, God doesn't need your help. God needs your obedience and your partnership. And that's why the parats out of that, what that covering, that gap of the hand of God, that parats came out of that, and both of those words were there. Now, this is one of those cases where the verb form parats really does have the root because initially somehow God had to have broke through 
to accomplish our right to partner with him. And then from that, we understand the gap, we accept it. And from that obedience, then Peratz goes, and then that sets the stage for the next point of gap. See how that flows? It's like a divine slinky almost. Give me some grace. But it goes from one point to another, establishing according to the law of God over and over again. So this, to me, explains why this happened to Uzzah. Sad but true. You imagine Ohio going back. I don't. It doesn't mention that Abinadab uh, was, or Eleazar, were in this contingent. In fact, because I don't see it there. Uzzah and Ohio are the reps of the family. Ohio has to go and say, oh, "Man." I, I got bad news. My brother's dead. What? Did you not learn anything when we were watching over this for 20 years? You know, how long have you been watching over the partnership with the Lord? How long have you, some of you, 26 years? Some of you, 20 years? Some of you ten. Some of you five, and then you got tired. Have you come, have you become weary, complacent? I think we need to be really careful with what action we then take in the midst of that complacency, and in the midst of that, there's more feeling. Because as soon as you begin to stretch your hand to take hold of something other than what God's hand has established you to do, you're not in a very good place. When you begin to violate the parets of the Lord, God is not going to look kindly. For a while he may wink at it, but that time is short-lived. We need to value and revere the calling of the Lord for the, for the Peretz that we are supposed to be uh, embodying. And, you know, you say, well, you know, I'm pretty familiar with, with this, and I think God will give me some latitude. Think again. That's the same thing Phinehas and, and his brother did, sons of Eli. And... Um, they said, well, you know, the ark's here, you know. It always brought victory uh, whenever Moses took it out. So let's just go get it. You know, it's the principle of the thing after all, isn't it? After all, God knows us. We're in line to be the next high priest. I don't see that in the Bible, but I imagine that's what they thought. And it, God killed them. You know, I think several things. This is a Bible study. When is he supposed to be Bible study? So we're studying the Word together. Maybe you saw some new things here. Maybe God's Spirit through these new things is adjusting you, correcting you. I've, I've had to go before the Lord myself and say, Father, help me. You can be in the presence of the Lord and become familiar. Now, you should be comfortable. Bear with me here. You should recognize that God has given you a special place. He loves you. Be confident in it. But you must never get complacent, and you must never think that you can bend the rules of the Lord. I know that there are a lot of times that in the Bible, uh, to, to me the safeguard is that you're in covenant relationship with the Lord and you've proven yourself to the Lord. God so often looks beyond the fault and sees the need, but there's always a reckoning. There's always a reckoning. Um, but in this case, these two young boys who had 
many years of revering that ark. They had their father and their older brother who had shown them, you better not mess around with this. Let me tell you the stories of how this thing came to us. It's like that went out the window. They decided to partner with this new thing. David should have known better. Every one of these people should have known better. But the stories itself. So we recap this. We must not be wearied in well-doing and complacent with the glory of God that he has assigned to us. And we must remember what must be done by the mandate of his word and stay faithful to it. We can never jurisdict in our own thinking <coughs> what, excuse me, what, what God has, we must never allow our own thoughts to supersede what God has clearly stated that he wants. And we need to recognize the gap that God has assigned us to where the partnership of his hand is covering us. And we must never reach our hands out to try to super, supersede God's hand. Now, was there another way that this could have been done? Could God have sent the angel with the fiery sword in front of those oxen, the same one that made the Balaam's donkey, notice I said donkey, speak to him? Oh, yeah, wouldn't that have been a great story? All of a sudden, the sky brightens, an angel stands there with a fiery sword. Those oxen stop dead in their tracks. Uzzah and Ohio begin smiting the oxen upon the behind to get him to move. Come on, giddy up, or whatever they said. You know, if they, they were Texans, they'd have been saying, yeehaw, giddy up, giddy up. But then one of the, one of the oxen turns around and says, why are you smiting me? I've been pulling this ark. You should have known better to begin with. God could have done that. And then suddenly the angel appears. Consider your ways, David. The ark was supposed to be carried by the priests. It was not supposed to be put on a cart. You're taking it to the city that I have chosen. And uh, you got to do it the right way. And David would have fallen on his face. Uzzah and Ohio would have jumped out. The oxen probably bowed down. They'd have sent uh, some of those trombonists. They didn't have trombones back then. Uh, to get the staves. Or maybe they had the staves alongside them in the cart and said, Where's the, where are the Levites? Let's do this right. Or maybe they would have stopped right there and David would have been, he would have sacrificed those oxen. And, um, and the oxen would have still been talking, Hey, wait a second, wait, wait, I just saved your life. What are you doing? Hey, wait, no, no. That would have been a story. Monty Python-ish. God could have done that. But this business of the hand, first the ark was out from where it was supposed to have been, and it had been gone for over 20 years. There also was this upstart king who was kicking it, taking names and wives. I guess he hadn't gotten holy yet, and he, he wasn't waiting on the Lord to find out what he should have done. He had a good idea but he didn't submit it to the Lord. He learned a great lesson, not faulting him, just pointing it out. If you don't think I'm being kind to the beloved David, bring it up with God. He's the one that did this. So, but to me, the point is, for us as saints, how long have you been before the nation is really awakened, before all the Elijah list is awakened, before all the countries that we've sown seeds in begin to see exploits. It's just been us with what God has called us to do. Have we become weary with that? Have we become complacent? Do we want to stick our hand to something else and say, okay, I know you gave this to us when you first gave it. We said this was the greatest thing ever. We wanted to quit everything else to do it. 
There was no limit. I don't know about you, but this is the way it is. It's the truth, y'all. We're just going to, you're going to find me praying. Have you gotten tired? Have you bucked out of what God has called you to do? And if you're seeking for something else, is your hand stretching to the place where God has called you to stand and you're about to really get it? I'm not trying to scare anybody. The Bible says David was displeased and he was afraid of the plan of God at this point. There's no reason to be any of those. You're to be covenant partners with God. Get on your face before the Lord and repent and get ready for the breakthrough. This has got to be done in God's way. Our message is not going to be some slick maneuver that's being taught in some other camp. It's what God has given us. And to me, it's the best. Again, how we begin this. How do you supersede partnering before the throne of God? How do you supersede that? Are you weary with it? Are you complacent with it? Your hands grasping to steady that thing that you're supposed to be representing that God's covering is, has given you? Well, if it has, you better draw that hand back and you better get on your face. I don't want to be a dab in Eliezer to watch over what God has called me to take responsibility for. I don't want Obed-Edom to take it, even for three months. God's ways are very clear. They're not tricked up enough for you. You need to humble yourself again and get right with him. That's finally what David did, didn't he? Sacrificing every six steps, dancing in that linen garment of humility and, dare I say, a representation of the Sha'al. Um, he was vile, abased in the eyes of the people. You know, you've heard these messages. You've wept over them. He comes into town and his wife... Michael, you read this story, um, when David was settling accounts, he said to Ishbosheth, one of Saul's sons, who was lame in his feet, okay, I'll meet with you, but you got to go to wherever my wife is and bring her. She'd been off with another guy. So she's fresh off of that. Ishbosheth was killed by two of his guards, and David killed them, had them killed. Read it, it's right there. And they hung them up over the pool of Hebron, and they cut off their hands and they cut off their, their feet, and um, they buried, apparently, those dudes had desecrated Ishbosheth's body, so they buried him with Abner. It's an interesting story, but Mikel, his wife, had been taken away from the man who she had been fallen in love with, which she should have known better. I mean, I don't have any excuse for that. If you're married to David, you better buck it up and do what you're supposed to do. Well, she's looking out the window, and in all of her vim and vigor and anger and her bitterness, she spews out how glorious is the king of Israel. And another one that we as a stem winder, I'll be more vile than this. All this is going on. David should have been vile before he went to Abinadab's house. But the main story for us is, where are we? God's ark is moving. The breakthrough is coming. It's upon us. We need to be ready, purified. And, you know... As many of the things that we repented of over the, over the months before the Lord as the Spirit has been trying us, in a good way. This has been, not been maudlin. This has been a wonderful exchange with the Lord. Perhaps one of the things we need to reevaluate is, have we grown weary under the hand of God? Have we become commonplace? Have we become complacent? Has His way become, uh, you know... Has, has God gone away? Or have you, you know, you're supposed to be watching over the fire. 
I'm really hitting you today, aren't I? Well, better me than a parats out of the parets of the hand of God where you're supposed to be standing. Now, I think one of the things that we need to do before these mighty things begin to happen is say, Father, if in any way I become... I've been, we've been guarding over this for 26 years. Have I become weary with that? Repent of it. Do the first thing. It's like what the Lord said to the churches in Revelation. You've left your first love. You have left it. Well, there's got to be more love than this. I've got to go out and search for it. And I talk to many, and they, they also feel the same way. So we need to go searching. Let's get our hands on anything we can. You're going to be in trouble. This is a warning from God. He's entrusted the best to us. Repent and do the first things. It's up to you. Oh, I'd like to do the first things, but I want it back the way it was. I wish old so-and-so was here so I could pray near them. They always had such an anointing. Maybe somebody will lay hands on me and give me a, a quick jump start. It's going to be hard for me to lay hands past the hand of God that's already covering you. We have to take responsibility, we who are of a full age. That's the story of this. It's not to glorify Obed-Edom. It's not to shoot past um, David dancing and offering all these sacrifices and coming in and I'll be more vile than this. That's a good story. We like to skip ahead to that because it removes culpability. What about the last 20 years? Same ark, same God, same hand. We better get that right before we start ironing our linen for our dance. Are you weary? Are you looking for other things? Are you looking for some other way? God has made it very clear. That's the one thing I've appreciated in the Lord. After all these years, it's always been God's Word, not some perversion of God's Word. You know, I've heard lots of different doctrines recently. We've lost some network people because of it. And they go off some vision that is a twisting of the word of the Lord, and they say, okay, this is really what it means before the throne. Get back in the gap. That's where God is. His hand is covering you there. His glory is passing by. Don't be trying to peel the fingers apart and peek out. Don't try to stick your hand through to take hold of the glory because you want more. Wait on the Lord. Wait on it. How many times does the scripture talk about wait on the Lord? I'm tired. Wait on the Lord. There's got to be more than this. Wait on the Lord. We heard about patience being the first sign of the apostolic. And your patience possess you, your souls. Stay under that. Well, I think to me, I've often looked at this story with Uzzah. And part of it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I understand that he tried to steady the ark. I know what the Bible says. But the backstory of what that really represented didn't make sense to me. But you investigate a little bit and you see all these things. When his hand tried to take a steadying influence on the ark, God's hand, that was the covering there, was going to not have any of it. Whose hand is covering you? What are your hands doing? You better keep your hands in the hand of God. You better keep that hand, firmly revere it, rejoice in it. You think about that. I've been standing in the gap all this time. My life is passing by. God's hand, sure, sure it's covering me, but it's just not as exciting as when it first came on me. Do you hear yourself? 
the very hand of God is with you. How much more do you want? He's teaching you the intricacies of seeking him and searching for him and learning of him and feeling all kinds of things that then, as you keep pursuing, he develops and strengthens you. That's where you are. This isn't a three-ring circus. God has given you the best. He's given me the best. How about we understand that and remember that and cherish it? Because if you don't, there's some smiting that might be out there. I'm not going to get off on that. But like I said, there's, there's, the bill always comes due. Um, some who accepted an iniquitous offense and threw it in front of other people and drew them off course, they're going to answer to God. No matter how many times they say that their God would never do that, Sure, Uzzah thought the same thing. Your time is coming unless you repent. And for all of us who remain in the camp, how about we go before the Lord and thank him? Thank him for what he's taught us, the privilege of partnering with him, the privilege of waiting upon him with him. Ask him again to make us ready for the breakthrough that is upon us. We don't want to miss God. We don't want to misrepresent God. We don't want to be put in harm's way or put anybody else in that. This can all be done easily. Yeah, and for us, this ark was abandoned by the religious world. This ark was abandoned by people who thought they had all the gospel. And this ark was abandoned by those who thought they could utilize it for their own purposes and gain things in the world. This ark was abandoned by people that when you tell them what the scripture says should be done, they say, well, that's not in the word. That's not what we've done. That's how God rescued the ark through you. His the hand of God, the very embodiment of the presence of God, has been under your keeping for the past decades. And now it's time for breakthrough. It doesn't surprise me that some have stuck their puny hand out and said, I'm going to do what I need to do. I don't like the way this ark is. I've got to steady it. And I've talked to others, and they think that we should steady it too. You're done. If you do that, get right with God. The breakthrough's coming. The entry into Jerusalem is coming. The presence of the Lord in the places that God has ordained throughout the world for the saints to bring this message to, it's right before us. Let's make sure with everything we do that we don't fail in the way that Uzzah failed. What's the backstory? Complacency, dereliction of duty, feeling that those that had been guarding over it successfully for 20 years with nary a one being killed, we can do it our way. That's the backstory. And that's the story we need today. Father, thank you for your word. Help us as saints to grow. Uh, and to be what you have called us to be. We want to partner with your hand. We thank you for that. Forgive us if in any way we are guilty of become weary and well-doing, complacent, um, trying to advise you. Forgive us and forgive those who have abandoned this calling. Redeem them, not for our sake, but for their sake and for the kingdom's sake. I pray that for all the saints, as we continue to look forward to the time of new beginnings, that we would be more in love with you than we ever have, 
and that we will cherish the tenderness and the, the glorious privilege of being covered by the palm of the hand of God. We love you. We thank you for this. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody, for joining. I pray that you are well. Let's consider these verses. I so much love the Word of God. The depth and the timing of the way the Spirit guides us into truth. There's a reason that he's waited till now to talk about this episode. The days ahead are going to be establishing his dwelling places on earth in unprecedented manner. We've got to be ready, and we've got to express our thanks to the Lord for the privilege of partnering with him in it. May God be with you. Until this weekend, goodbye.